and welcome to another episode of CFAL Talks. Joining me in studio today are my colleagues, Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Manager, Corporate Advisory. In today's episode, we will conclude part two of our topic, our economic wish list. There's an old adage which says, hope springs eternal, which means that undying belief that something will happen or things will get better, even though it seems unlikely. We will continue our discussion on things that we wish for this fiscal year, 2023-2024. Michelle, continue on with your wish list. Well, my um, second item is for us to have... um, improve statistics. And I know that this may sound very geeky. I mm-hmm. like math. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that we would need, um, we need in this country um, more improved and frequent reporting mm-hmm. on key economic statistics such as um, GDP and unemployment, which are um, very important. Um, and um, economic statistics um, really help to provide valuable insights into an economy, and they would help policymakers um, assess trends and um, make informed decisions. But I find that for us, we don't have that, um, like, like, for example, in the U.S., you can rely on, you know, on a certain day, this certain statistics is coming out. So you always hear, oh, they're having jobs day. Then you hear the economic, the GDP numbers are going to report, be reported today. And you always know on which particular day. There's no, um, you don't have to think about it. Um, but here it's like, you have to be like, oh, it's the GDP numbers out there. Then you go searching and Googling and whatever, <laughs> and you can't find it. And interestingly, for the unemployment numbers, I think we had our first labor survey last May, and that was the first survey done since 2019. Mm -hmm. So it's like unemployment, you know, you know, the people we didn't, yeah, sure, we had Dorian, sure, we had a pandemic, but I think that we need to, um, these things are important and we can't just say we're not going to do this because of X, Y, Z. Yes, the pandemic may have made it difficult for you to do a labor force survey, but Certainly, um, I think that we should have had some sort of way of assessing um, what was going on with the unemployment situation um, in our country. And also the tourism numbers, you know, I think we're in January 2024 and the last official tourism numbers we have is as at September 2023. And you may think, oh, that's only a few months, but, you know, but we are in the media and, you know, we always saying like we're having these record um, breaking years and the tours are coming to our shores. But we don't have any sort of data, official data to say, OK, this is what's happening. We can't assess the trends. We can't um, um, look at and see if there needs to be improvement in some ways. Like how much money are we earning um, from these um, these tours that are coming to our shores? And I think um, also that we see, you know, a lot of cruise passengers are visiting, but the air passengers, you know, not as much air passengers, which is the higher value segment. It makes us um, more revenue. So I think that 
I find it hard to believe when the politician says, you know, we're going to have a plan because we want to do this, we want to do that. But there's no data like where, how are you assessing this plan? How are you making informed decision? Why can't I look and see um, what, what has happened and why can't I forecast um, what I think is going to happen based on the numbers that you provide me? And also, I think we also have an issue with revising numbers mm-hmm. yep. and sort of keeping quiet about it. <laughs> And interestingly enough, um, this doesn't only affect the citizens. Um, I remember last year I was reading a Bloomberg article and they were discussing the bond. Um, They were doing a a review of the bond market in the Caribbean. So they did um, places like Jamaica and other countries in the Caribbean. And for the Bahamas, the analysts said that the data was not available Mm -hmm. And they wondered if um, the Bahamas had met their fiscal targets. Was that the reason why they were sort of like holding on to the data? So it's leaving doubt in the minds of um, the international markets. And also, as we discussed last episode, we are having trouble. We can't even go to the international market and borrow. We have to, you know, go through, borrow via these multilateral agencies. Mm So I think that it is important for us to have um, a framework of how we are going to do economic reporting because we can't really plan to say where we're going if we don't know where we're at and if we don't properly know where we've been. I think there needs to be more independence. You know, I always have a problem when government is responsible for certain important key areas because no administration is going to want to let people uh, see that things are worse than they even imagine. So there's going to be that temptation (laughs) to make you believe, especially if you've been in office two, three, four years, you're going to want to make people believe that things are all fine. And so if your unemployment numbers really look bad, are you going to go to the people and say, after three, four years, well, unemployment has gone up. And so you have these areas where you're not totally confident that the numbers that are given are the accurate number. And you know, we look at CFAL because we write economic reports. And I don't think the politician appreciates that there are Bahamians, not just international agencies or persons who, who are looking to, to lend us money via our bond offerings, but there are actually Bahamians who look at these reports and who write reports. Because when I look at it, you know, I'm looking at you, they're going back six, seven years and they're changing numbers. You know, you mentioned timely information. Well, we rely a lot on the Statistical Digest. That's a report that comes from the central bank. And those numbers come out in May, in August, and in November. And the November report was released last week or sometime, or maybe before, maybe, maybe earlier. But we do not have the last quarter of 2023 numbers, and that will be June 2023. They're not there. If you go to revenues, if you go to expenditure, if you go to um, all of those key areas, 2023 numbers are not there. On the balance of payment, because the the quality statistical digest used to give the tourism expenditure numbers. They stopped years ago. They stopped that. But you can go to the balance of payment to find that number. And they are up to June 
again of last year. That's the latest number that they're issuing. So in, in the, trying to determine exactly where the country is, it's kind of difficult because the, the, the information that they are releasing um, is dated. And if you don't have accurate information, then how are you going to design policies to ad address the challenges that we are having? And that's probably why the challenges that we are having is administration after administration. It's not getting better, but it's getting worse until that shoe finally drops and we find ourselves in a difficult position. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I always find it 10 times easier to write um, an international report than a, 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 a local report. I know exactly from the what you're because... talking about because I used to do that. And I'm like, every time, it's just a challenge. Yeah. I would sometimes even call persons to ask at the Department of Statistics or call the Central Bank to try to figure out where's the information because it's very difficult. Yeah, and I, and I think too, like, you know, there has to be some way to incorporate technology to kind of automate a lot of this. There, there's no way the... You know, the U.S., if you think about the U.S. economy and its size and the amount of states and the amount of data that they have to aggregate, like for them to be able to release their GDP numbers two weeks after the quarter end, even if it's an advanced estimate, um, tells you, you know, there's some sort of efficiency there. So for us, you know, we get those numbers seven, eight, nine, ten weeks later. Um, and, you know, if you're writing a report in February, about September of the previous year, it's kind of outdated <laughs> yeah. and pointless information, right? So by the time as we get the data, we're so far ahead of it that, you know, it's like, okay, what can we do with it now? So like you mentioned, having more accurate data, um, I think is pretty important. And I think, like I said, I think it's by design. I don't think it's that it's taking so long to compile the information. We are in January 2024. Why don't I know what the debt level was up to December of 2023, right? Why don't I know um, these these numbers? When you have persons tooting them, you have persons telling you, oh, we did this, that you see summary reports where they will tell you, okay, the deficit um, 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 contracted slightly, but I don't ever believe them because I've no, I know it for a fact, right? And this is successive administrations that they will tell you that deficit number, but when you go to that statistical digest, it is Something totally like different. But then when the, the information is dated, who was going back two, three years and said, oh, I thought they said the deficit was 100 million, but the deficit is 300 million. Nobody's going to go back and do that. But I just think that they need more current and accurate information so that we can really address the issues that we are having. So that brings me to my second wish list item. And that is, I wish the gains from tourism can trickle down to the average Bahamian. I know we are talking about tourism and tourism is doing wonderful. I mean, a lot of tourists, um, I think um, based on what the minister said, there's no way for us to verify it because the numbers aren't out for us. But I think we are at like about 8 million or so um, tourists. And I, I think though that that stopover number is still weak relative to historical trends. I think the highest stopover number in the Bahamas since they've been recording it, and that would have been probably in the early to mid-1990s, was 1.8 million stopover tourists. I don't think we've been back there. If we did, maybe once. Um, um, and so I see at September, stopover is 1.33 million. So the question is, did we get 
400 plus 500 plus um, tourists um, in the last quarter of last year. Um, I'm not sure. That. Yeah, that, that's a crazy statistic because yeah. back then we didn't even have Bahama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and now we have somehow more rooms and more capacity and we still haven't hit yeah. a peak hit uh, back then. Mm-hmm. I, and I think if you look across other Caribbean countries, they've actually been growing that that mm-hmm. stopover. But we're kind of, I guess, the cruise capital now. So we just focus so much effort on on the cruise numbers. And we, we clearly know that the, the impact is not the same. But I think we can get opportunity for that, right? Because I, from my, some intelligence that I have, um, some of those stores on the cruise board are doing very well. You know, and I, I just think you have to provide activities like the, the cruise ship passing the cruise ship operators were saying we need, we need, we desperately need activities. And I think the mistake that we will make, I think what happens is our tourism officials look at this product like they are looking at the hotels. They want someone to come from the outside in to develop this product for us. But when you have that, all you get is leakage. Mm-hmm. Because 80, 90% of the money that is earned is leaving the country. And that's why you cannot get that trickle-down effect. But look at this. You have the cruise port where you have Bahamian ownership. And if you have a good product on that port, people will buy from you. And that money is going into the pockets of Bahamians, one. And two, our reserves are looking good because those persons on the cruise port can't keep they can't have U.S. dollar bank accounts. So when it gets into the banking system, it's the government. Mm-hmm. So we need more of that and more needs to be done to help with developing that side of the, of the industry where Bahamians can feed it. And when Bahamians can feed it and touch it, it can only benefit the government. But the government shouldn't be just so myopically concerned about the tax they're getting from the tourists that come here. So we were getting what? $18, and we figure, okay, all these cruise ship passengers come, let's compensate for this because you have less stopover or your stopover is stalled. So let's compensate by increasing the taxes that we're getting from cruise ship passengers. But more should be done to see how we can create that model that's on the port throughout this country for the average Bahamian. Until we do, we're going to continue to find... Um, um, the cruise ships setting up islands and doing stuff that Bahamians should be doing and that will benefit um, um, our countries. I think more needs to be done for that, the gains from tourism to trickle down to the average Bahamian. And I, I do commend the government for the increase in the fee, particularly for those private islands, because mm-hmm. you see more and more itineraries going to those islands. And I think they include those numbers in our arrivals, right? So if a ship comes from out of Miami, Port Miami, stops at Coco Key, and then goes to, say, Jamaica or somewhere else, they're going to count that as passengers arriving to the Bahamas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you do get the employment on the islands, um, but, you know, at least, I guess, somewhat now they're getting some additional revenue <coughs> or tax revenue. You know, you can't just avoid Nassau and, and say you've been to the Bahamas. Right? I do commend them. Um, on that component. And, you know, the cruise science would say we'll make the destination more expensive. But like you said, if we're going to put so much eggs in this tourism basket, we have to kind of benefit um, more and more. Can't just be the cruise lines 
living off us. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we should, though, put all of our eggs in the tourism bag. I think tourism should be that catalyst to help us to build on and to have infrastructure development. Because if we're getting the tourism dollars, then that means we don't need to go out and borrow as much because we are getting more of those dollars, particularly when Bahamians have those dollars. You put it in the bank and the government just... It's the governments, mm-hmm. and you could use those for investments as opposed to having to go out and borrow the money because you're not getting sufficient gains um, from tourism. Well, my um, final item is, and, and this may be a bit biased, but I, I, you know, I, I would like to continue to see more public-private partnerships, um, particularly um, opportunities for the average Bahamian to invest in you know infrastructure projects, tourism projects. And we've, we've started to see um, a trend of this, but I think we need to continue to do it. Um, you know, I, I believe, I don't, in simple terms, I dislike cash, right? I, I dislike the idea of just having cash um, sitting. And if you look in the banking system and the investment um, world, there's a lot of capital just sitting, waiting for opportunities. Um, and, and while there is some capital specifically for like startups and more so development, I'm talking about, you know, mature capital that's looking for stable infrastructure, you know, your pensions, your insurance companies. I think in the past, you know, government has relied on sweeping up a lot of this capital, right? The government, you know, they come to the market, we need 50 million pension funds, the insurance companies, the average investor gives that money to the government. But as we mentioned earlier, you know, the debt is a bit high, people are getting a bit more cautious. So, you know, a lot of the money is now sitting doing nothing. And we could be using a lot of this to, one, drive economic activity. Uh, but it requires the government to say, you know what, I don't need control of everything. You know, I, I could allow the private sector to do um, some of this. And there are so many ways you can structure public-private partnerships. If your concern is about control and influence, you know, the government can keep a stake. We, there are PPPs where the government has ownership and board seats. There are PPPs where you know, they own it 100%, but it's privately managed. Um, and, and, you know, I think these will provide um, economic growth. And I, I also think the opportunity for to boost the morale of the average citizen as well. You know, when you see these projects come up, for example, the cruise port, you know, a lot of people are very proud to say they own yeah. that. It, it inspires them to continue to, you know what, I can try... Next time you're all of something, I can do even more. I can put this in place for my kids. Like it, it builds this culture of ownership and, you know, striving to save and become more financially, um, you know, financial, well, improve your financial situation. I think a lot of times people look at it and say, oh, you know, Bayman's ain't have no money. But there are a lot of people out there who save and make sacrifices and, and they're looking for investments. And, you know, thousands and thousands of Bayman's have savings and pensions yeah. that they do. And I, I think providing more opportunities for them to feel that participating in this economy and and benefiting from it, like you said, it reduces leakage, I, I think would be very good for us um, going forward. Yeah, and the you mentioned the port. That's a form of a PPP. You have APD, there's another form um, um, of PPP. And there's so many infrastructure developments in this country that we need to improve upon. And so having those PPP arrangements will help in twofold when you get the advancement um, in your economy, as well as providing investors with, with, with vehicles to invest their monies. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the government just needs to just, you know, let go a little bit, you know, like open the economy up, allow the private sector to thrive. 
Um, I know that it's important for you to collect taxes, but you need you can't control everything. And by holding things so close to the vest, we can't really grow like that. But that's why we haven't been growing. Yeah. If you look over the last five, ten years, exclude the pandemic, exclude the thirty percent um, um, contraction in two thousand. Um, 2020, mm-hmm. um, that was a result of the pandemic, and exclude the 16% and then 14% um, increase after p- the pandemic. But you go prior to that, we have not been growing, mm-hmm. and that's because there are no investments. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, I mean, it's, it's a fact, because we heard from investors, um, Angelo uh, mentioned it briefly, that people aren't interested in government bonds for the mm-hmm. most part. They're not. They're not interested because they look at these debt levels. You get 90% um, 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 debt levels and people be like, okay, no, let me keep my money because if you get in problems, the first people you go in after will be famous. You tell yourself, well, you don't I'm need that money. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lot of money sitting in the bank there. People don't have that. So I'm going to take you know, from you. So people aren't excited and people are not excited when government controls investment because they feel that decisions will not be made in the best interest of the investment, but they will be more political. Mm-hmm. I think it takes maturity to accept like the reality, like the, the debt situation has been accumulated over time and it's caused some of these things. So you have to accept that, okay, I'm not in a position to do it and maybe it's better served in the private sector. And also common sense, I think, because if, you, if there's, a, if there's a, a project that you need to get done, and if you feel that if, if private, public-private partnership mm-hmm. can allow that to, be, to get done, that will benefit Bahamians and enrich Bahamians' mm-hmm. lives, why are you trying to stop that? Because you want to be in control of it. Mm-hmm. When you are in control of it and you're not doing a good job. So allow the public-private partnership to, to work. Allow yourself to be a part of it, silent partner. And then you still can, can brag about it because mm-hmm. this is something that was done to enrich person's life, but you allow it to happen. Yeah, I, I think that we, we just, I mean, the person, it seems to me, as the person who is least qualified um, to be doing these things in terms of um, growing the economy and these infrastructure projects, um, they want the most control over it. But we don't really need the government to be in control. We just need the government to implement the policies um, to so that um, we don't get, you know, we don't have any foreign investors come in here and take advantage of us. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, like Angelo mentioned, Bahamians are proud to, mm-hmm. to own APD. They're proud to own shares um, in the cruise port. And, you know, you have people calling, you know, you have any shares available or whatnot because they want ownership in their own country. They have seen for too long the foreign investor come in here and, and, own, and own the economy. And, you know, there's a, there's a proverb that says, little by little, wealth increases. Mm-hmm. So if you may have, you know, I think APD, the maximum shares you were able to get was 100. 115. Yeah, 115. <laughs> that was a small amount, but you got your APD shares, and that price has, has increased substantially. Mm-hmm. And then you have your port shares, you get a little bit here, and then you keep adding to it. And it may be something for your grandchildren, you mm-hmm. know, that you can leave to them when you go that will be worth a lot. So, you know, I wouldn't look down on the small investment and say, well, you know, that's only 115 shares. What can I do for you? But if you continue to save like that mm-hmm. and add to these investments, then I think over the long term, you, you'll have something that you're proud of. Yeah, we just need more opportunities like that. But unfortunately, we don't, we don't have it. And it will take government 
removing their strong arms over the, the, the investor, private sector um, type investment and not just relying on, and I've always said this, you know, we cannot just rely on the foreign direct investment or the foreign direct investor to come in and save us. These guys are coming in looking for money. And in most cases, they don't have any. They use the promise of the investment to secure the funding. What we do need, though, is more Bahamians to be a part of these investments, particularly the ones that generate foreign currency that, that can enrich our country more than what the foreign direct investment is doing for us um, today. So my final wish is that I would like to see the actual benefit from taxes be realized among Bahamians. So I want to see more benefits coming from my tax dollars. Do you want to know where the VAT money has gone? <laughs> <laughs> the government brag about revenues going up. I think it went up slightly. I think they are at 2.88, that's rounded up to $2.89 billion in government revenues. That's taxes mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. I just want to see development across this country. I don't think people generally have a problem with paying taxes. But I think in our country, it's almost as if, you know, it's like the Robin Hood days. You know, you're just paying taxes to enrich the, the wealthy, you know. Not that you're supposed to use this tax dollars to invest in our economy to improve the level of service, the public service that you give us. So I just want to see more in terms of, of, of the benefit derived from these tax dollars and so not just Bohemians paying taxes and, and, and not getting anything in return or not believing that they should get something mm -hmm. in return from their government. Yeah, I, I um, completely agree because we pay the taxes. Like, for example, we go to road traffic. Um, we pay to have our cars um, registered every year, but... We go and we drive and we drop in a pothole and then we have to go to the store and or order a part online and you know it costs forty five percent to bring it into it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense um, because we being overtaxed and we're not it's not trickling down and the government is not doing what they should be doing mm -hmm. um, with the taxes. Yeah, I just you mentioned um, ordering stuff online and I just purchased something um, online. And the total of that item, those two items that I purchased was $152. Mm -hmm. And I had to pay $215 to land it. To land it, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I thought that was just totally ridiculous. Yeah. It was yeah. just totally. <clears throat> As you mentioned the road, for example, ironically, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have road rage, but, <laughs> you know, every now and then you drop in a bottle that just causes you to, just, yeah. it just kills your whole day, right? It, you say words you shouldn't say, um, <laughs> but ironically, my car is literally at the shop getting one of my bushings changed because yeah. I've been dropping in so much yeah. holes, you know. So it is, it's simple things like that that I think would improve the overall feel of the economy. And, you know, it would get people to feel like, OK, I'm paying taxes, but yes, yeah. I can see where it's going. Right now, I think there's a general frustration that you're paying all this money and nothing waking and. You know, yeah. the money just going on a drain. Yep, you're paying this money, but you have to sacrifice to send your, chi your child or children to a private school mm -hmm. to get a quality education. You're paying this money in taxes, but you, you, you would 
rather scrape to go to a private doctor than to, than to go um, at, at the Princess Margaret Hospital. And, and, and speaking about the, the roads, it's like they would have these unfinished patches like for months yeah, and you're you're driving and then it's difficult to veer on the side because you have bushes on one side and then the other lane is the other side and then you forgot that oh this thing is <laughs> right you, here and then you bang bang <laughs> in right there on. so i think more needs to be done to maximize the returns that the government receive mm-hmm. in taxes so that at the end of the day i think what all governments need to know at the end of the day you are there to better the lives mm-hmm. of the Bohemian people. Mm-hmm. Angelo Lachelle, we've come to the end of another episode of C-File Talks. Thank you very much for participating in the discussion and thank you audience for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of C-File Talks, uh, send us an email at info at cfile.com or call us at 502 Until next time.